Hello, my name's John Schaefer and welcome to the CityWire Wealth Manager podcast. In this episode, I spoke with Faye Wren, co-manager of the Cerno Pacific Fund, which has returned an impressive 68.9% over the past year, compared with a sector average of 29.9%. Alongside big-name Chinese tech stocks, such as Tencent and Alibaba, the fund has a 20% allocation to healthcare. We spoke about whether Chinese pharmaceuticals and medical technology can gain legitimacy on the world stage, despite there being political tensions. Your fund's been uh, performing pretty well of late, and which stocks contributed the most to the fund's performance in 2020? Um, The largest contributors last year were from our exposures in Chinese tech and healthcare names. Um, So the top performer was Kindy, which is a cloud-based enterprise resource management software business. the online entertainment names have performed well, so Billy Billy and Tencent. Um, Billy Billy is a uh, online entertainment platform. Um, you can think of it as a combo of YouTube, Netflix, and Twitch. And Tencent obviously benefited from the surge in gaming during the lockdowns. And also two of our healthcare names, Wuxi Aptech and TigerMed. Both are in the same industry, so they are both outsourcing services, so CROs, contract research organizations, and they help pharma and biotech companies conduct various segments of R&D and clinical clinical trials. Um, So, yeah, these companies benefited from the COVID uh, tailwind. And, and, And looking at some of those sort of consumer tech type names and you said uh, some of the, some of those stocks benefited from a surge in gaming i mean is that still going to be this the case when things get back to normal um well actually in china things pretty much got back to normal in april so the national lockdown was lifted in early april um and these companies continue to uh, benefit on the back of um, its own a growth profile and because some of them are quite uh, still quite nascent businesses such as Billy Billy they've only really got into the mainstream um, in over the last two years so they've benefited on its own accord and for a corporate software company like Kindy they've continued this acceleration of digitization um, after the opening of um, lockdowns so that's going to be a a, a long-term trend rather than a short-term one and how concerned are you about chinese government's scrutiny of internet companies you've got some larger holdings like alibaba in there that's obviously been affected from the government's influence in recent months um how how do you look at that um well in a similar way to what's happening in the US and Europe, actually. So it, it is a global concern. Everybody's clearly agreeing that the internet giants have too much power over personal data and over anti-competitive monopolistic behaviors. And so this regulatory overhang is going to likely will remain until at least into the second half of this year. But as the risk on pricing has been largely priced in. 
um, this time around for in China, the, the focus has really been on e-commerce and fintech areas. In e-commerce, we're less concerned um, because we expect relatively little revenue impact on this sector. The majority of Barber's revenues um, is in e-commerce and given the exclu exclusivity clauses flashed by the regulators around an anti-monopoly, that only really applies to a very small percentage of merchants. Most of the big brands sell across all the platforms anyway. And actually, these, this sector could probably benefit from a more orderly competitive environment with the reduced use of subsidies. What we would actually expect in the future would be less acquisitive behaviors from those internet giants and more prudent spending. Um, we think the M&A aspect will be scrutinized more closely and also the scrutiny on the use of individual data. Sure. And, and obviously, uh, AMP Financial has come under criticism as well and, and Alibaba still has a stake in, in AMP. Um, do you see that being an, an issue going forward? Sure. That, uh, the fintech aspect is a, it's a, it's a more um, significant issue really from two aspects. There's a one, one is from the loans and the other from payments. So the policymakers are preempting the crisis or problem in that may arise from uh, low quality consumer loans. And they're looking to de-risk the system uh, in advance uh, rather than having a huge crisis a few years down the line. So they've introduced um, caps on which banks can uh, transact uh, or can be exposed to any one particular fintech platform and limited the overall uh, exposure to total um, internet platforms. So they don't want these, especially smaller regional banks, to take on a lot of credit risk that they don't understand and expand balance sheets excessively. So Ant and other fintech businesses in China will not be able to grow as fast as previously projected. And they will also be expected to take on more, um, more risk instead of offloading it to the banks. And the other aspect from payments, um, uh, the China uh, Chinese Central Bank is introducing this digital currency, and that creates some uncertainty going into the future about whether it is a benign force or whether it will actually displace Alipay and Tencent Pay. Yeah, and I, I suppose so yeah, that I, is a concern for us. I can see that because if the government mm -hmm. enforces that digital currency, the, the likes of Alipay can can be gone overnight, surely. Yeah. And and how likely do you think that is? Um, well, at the moment, uh, they're only trialing uh, this digital currency in several cities and they're looking to bring it out on a wider scale um, over the next two years. Um, they're working alongside the banks and the Alipay and Tencent Pay to um, to help with mass adoption. Um, perhaps at the beginning, um, it won't be an overnight issue because 
there are still um, there are still a, a peripheral or adjacent complementary services offered on uh, platforms like Alipay and Tencent Pay that the consumers would not want to um, get rid of overnight. But over the long term, it's 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 a it's a more serious issue, perhaps. Sure. I wanted to move on to healthcare. About twenty percent of your fund is invested in in healthcare. Perhaps you could tell me about some of the opportunities you're seeing in the Chinese healthcare market. Yeah, sure. Um, well, China is a huge market for healthcare, and it's already the second largest, I think, behind the US. But spending or healthcare spending is still much lower than the global average. Um, but this, but this sector is um, growing at three, three to four times the rate of global growth. I think in the twenties versus five or six um, global growth, and it should remain one of the best um, growth stories in healthcare globally. And the drivers are really in the demographic. So there's a rising middle class in China that's demanding higher quality healthcare. There's an aging demographic, which is in absolute numbers already larger than Japan. And I think it's expected to be over 200 million by 2025. So there's an urgency to provide wide access of healthcare and low cost healthcare by the government. And the government itself is coordinating um, efforts and driving reforms to address this cost and quality issue and provide incentives for innovation. And this, this is really the key opportunity here. So China's healthcare market has historically been dominated by generics and very low cost manufacturing. And the regulators are now quite systematically eradicating these low quality duplicate manufacturers from the market. And also this is happening in the medtech sector or the med medical device sector as well as the drug sector. So innovation is becoming quite critical to ensure you survive as a company in China. And pharma, biotech and uh, medical devices are all part of this Made in China 2025 initiative to cultivate local champions. So if you if these companies can compete with the multinationals, which still dominates a lot of um, a lot of the market in China, so if they can compete on both quality and price, they've got a big domestic domestic market to play for. How are they com competing on the the world stage? I mean, are, are Chinese medical technology products and pharmaceuticals gaining le legitimacy, especially in the West? Yeah, so currently, um, Chinese biotech has been the most advanced in terms of driving innovation. And a lot of global multinational companies like Johnson have been licensing Chinese um, biotech um, IP and cooperating with them. Uh, and in the medical device sector, uh, one of our companies called uh, Shenzhen Mindray, which is the largest medical device company in China, but they sell to um, the US and Europe and around emerging markets as well. And they're in not just any hospital, they're in the top tier hospitals in developed market, which 
are typically a lot more stringent with what they buying. So they, in this way, they can compete and are increasingly competing on the mid and higher end. Um, but I think in terms of farmers and drugs, there is a, there is a little bit of a, um, political, from a political perspective that might still remain difficult. Um, we've seen how those trains vaccine exports have been portrayed in the media and there's a lot of suspicion around it. And also in terms of digital tech or digital med tech, which China is also quite advanced in with um, Ali Health and JD Health, etc. Data privacy will remain quite a sensitive issue. So I don't think they would be able to penetrate um, Western markets, let's say. So there's a lot, a lot more work to do to gain this legitimacy. I can see that. I mean, even in the UK, there was sort of, and the US controversy of a Huawei wasn't there in, in terms yes. of sort of, so I can mm-hmm. see even more so with healthcare type um, technology there being a, a bit of a ruckus, really. Um, yeah, I mean, you probably don't want your citizens' medical record to go to China. <laughs> <laughs> um, I wanted to talk a little bit about um, electric vehicles. Um, we hear quite a lot about China's focus on electric vehicles. Um, and, and perhaps you could tell tell us sort of why you how you're investing in electric vehicles in in the region. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, this is one of the hottest growth stories out there, and everybody's talking about them. Um, and in China, there's a lot of players, and with every day, there's more jumping on the bandwagon. Um, in our fund, we don't participate directly in the end OEMs. Um, that's partially on valuation grounds, but also because it's just quite difficult for us to see where the differentiating qualities are for the expense, the NEOs and the VIDs. I think, well, it, it's, it's less about the brand pre, uh, prestige built on like hundreds of years of great engineering because everybody is new here. So there's no reason for the Chinese car makers to not succeed but it's quite difficult to differentiate among them and i think in a way the composition of evs kind of analogs that of the smartphone so if you think about it evs are made of a good battery a brain so the chipset and the software a bunch of cameras sensors and other electronic components and then you compete on who runs the fastest, the longest, and the most clever, so more processing power. Um, and that's quite similar to how a smartphone functions. Um, so how we approach this EV story is we own the second derivatives, the suppliers and the enablers. So in the fund, we have a couple of names. So Sunny Optical that supplies camera modules and lens for the for the uh, for smart both smartphones and the EVs actually. Um, NIDEC, which is a leader in brushless DC motors and traction motors for EVs. Uh, Murata is a, a Japanese company. They make um, MLCC, so multi-layer ceramic capacitors used for electronic circuitry. Um, 
what else? Uh, uh, Delta Electronics makes uh, charging stations and inverters. So these companies, along with the semiconductor um, semiconductor suppliers, which we own, so we also own quite a lot of. Uh, they produce the chips for those AVs, and we've heard about how those shortaging chipsets have been affecting those uh, the automakers recently. And that's a critical part of the supply chain. So we go about the EV story via this indirect route. And, and why why go for sort of manufacturers of different parts of the supply chain rather than individual brands? Um, it, do you just see too much risk in 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 the idea of a brand and sort of the marketing around it? Yeah, I think it's still a very early market, and it's quite hard to tell who will ultimately grab the most market share. It's not a winner-take-all market. And we don't really want to subject ourselves to um, having to fret over market shares or shipment numbers every month for those automakers. The suppliers, on the other hand, they're a lot more stable and they're kind of brand agnostics. They can supply to a, a number of brands. So we benefit from the growth in the overall sector rather than a single name. Or single car maker. What themes are going to be the strongest in China over the next decade? Um, apart from the ones that we talked about in healthcare and EVs, it, um, digitization is definitely a long-term trend. That's both in consumer as well as corporate, especially corporate, because consumer is more uh, it's it's more saturated market and it's a less it's a it's more of a um price sensitive and less sticky market the, the the consumers can go for any platform that can offer the best price or the best product but for corporate software it's it's a lot more sticky um and less price sensitive and this part of the um digitization in China is still lagging behind the US and Europe. So there's no large scale providers such as um, Microsoft or Adobe or Salesforce. There's no companies of that scale in China yet. So any local champions, um, I mentioned Kingi earlier, they are still quite small at this, at this point in time, but there's a huge runway for these companies to grow and they're more or less on a um, level playing field because they're more um, more nuanced in the local market they know what the customers want and they can take they can often better tailor uh, offerings to suit them and, and what about some, some you know you mentioned some of those western big tech names you know the adobe's and microsoft um, providing business software why couldn't they just get into china um, they are already in China. Um, so Microsoft has and Adobe has been in China for a long time. Um, but again, with the rising political tensions, um, there's been talks of having Western software stripped from Chinese, especially government institutions. I think that's already underway. US has done the same several years ago stripping Chinese hardware and uh, um, away from uh, US government institutions. Um, that's one of the reasons. Another reason is because it's 
still an early stage market um and there's it's it's just more of a level playing field um and the quality of these chinese vendors are improving there's a huge number of stem graduates and it software engineers in china half of the silicon valley is made up of chinese and indian engineers so um th- both the improvement in quality and um some political tensions will help or will be driving this. Well, Faye, thank you so much for talking to me. Thank you very much. <laughs>